Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. This podcast was created for entrepreneurs who are seeking motivation, digital marketing tips, personal development resources, and a nice dose of comic relief. Now for your host, Jason Wright. What is happening, everybody? Jason Wright here. I believe this is episode 153. I would ask somebody, but I am recording alone, so we'll just assume it is for now. Um, Interesting times. And I, I realize I say that all the time. I say everything's interesting. Am I really that interested in everything, or do I have just nothing else to say? I don't know. But anyway, um, all kinds of crazy stuff happening in, in my business, and it's good. It's opportunities. It's, it's stepping into new places with growth. Uh, kind of the fear of success is something I've been wrestling with, which always sounded like complete crap to me, to be honest. Like, why would anybody fear success? But with uh, growth comes, you know, greater responsibility, not only for your growing team, if you've got one, which you probably need to grow anyway past a certain point, but um, the growing pool of clients that depend on you for your services and your support. So it's uh, it's been an experience, but it's about uh, stepping into that unknown place. You know, fear is, uh, all fear boils down to fear of the unknown. What if is the question that we ask or something to that variation, but stepping into that is what allows us to grow. So you know, I'm a, a huge advocate of if you're going to do something, do it today, do it right now. If you're thinking about to do something, give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? And our guest today really brings that to light, uh, even to a whole nother level, because you know what? Tomorrow's not promised. Uh, the next moment's not promised. So what are we waiting for? And that's really the question I had to ask myself before I kind of dove in hard here lately. And um, now good stuff's happening. It's It's you know, stuff you think about in your head, the you know, the worst case scenario type stuff, it usually almost never happens. So it's really a waste of time. But um, let's check out this conversation I had with Dave Sanderson. Um, I'll introduce him here on the, the conversation in a minute. But I think you guys will really enjoy this talk and uh, looking forward to sharing it with you. What is happening, everybody? Jason right here. I've got another amazing guest with me this week. This is what I'm real, real excited about. I've got Dave Sanderson with me. Let me tell you a little bit about Dave. So Dave is a speaker. He is the author of the book, Moments Matter. He's an inspirational survivor. You may recognize his story a little bit. He was the last passenger off of the back of Flight 1549 that landed in the Hudson River back in 2009. Dave, welcome to the show. Well, I am honored to be with you, Jason. Thank you for having me today. No problem at all. So do you mind sharing just a little bit of, of that day and that experience? Because I think it kind of was a, a starting point for you for everything you're doing now. Yeah, that sort of was the uh, jump start of what uh, was going on. So here's the Cliff Notes version. I sure. was at the end of a three-day business trip. I was in uh, technology sales management at that time, and we were uh, doing a distribution system uh, evaluation in Brooklyn, New York. So if, you've ever, if, if anybody has ever been in a distribution center, which I used to live in, in that manufacturing plant, they open up early in the morning, and this went up at 2, 2 a.m., 
so we started our day at five because we wanted to be in the middle of the game. We didn't uh, want, you know, by about six o'clock, everything is still pretty much over. So we started our day about five. We got done about 10. And I was supposed to be on the 5 p.m. flight back from New York. But uh, I, when the, I talked to the travel agent, she put me on flight 1549, which, which is now known as the Miracle on the Hudson. Which, so I can't wasn't supposed to be on the plane. Uh, I <clears throat> Nothing extraordinary about the day. It was 11 degrees. It's snowing, but it's the middle of winter in New York. No big deal about that. And I was one of the first passengers to be on, get on the plane because of my status with you as there was out of the chairman off the top tier. So I got to go on the plane with one, the, with the first group. And uh, I, I did exactly what I did every single time. Then when I got on a plane and I tell people, I hallucinate what you do when you get on a plane. Now I didn't pay attention. Mm-hmm. I just went back, opened my magazine up, right. Start reading and didn't care what was going on. And can didn't listen to anybody because I knew everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, about 60 seconds, 60 seconds or so after we took off is when I heard the explosion and it was a loud explosion. So it, it sort of got my attention. I never heard anything on a plane quite like that. So I looked up and I was in seat 15A. So I looked out the window. I saw fire coming out from beneath the left wing. So I knew something had happened, but I flew so often I, the plane lost an engine. No big deal. And uh, I think that was, to me, one of the things that don't doesn't get enough credit or talked about. Because what happened was, is you know, as we know now, the bird struck the plane on the left side, but also on the right side at the exact same time. So everybody on the plane and the passenger, at least I'll, I'll talk to passenger perspective. From the passenger perspective, we heard one one explosion. So I think everybody on the plane in the back, you know, the passengers thought, eh, we have another engine, right? We'll go back to the airport, you know, the plane. So no one freaked out. And I think that was a part of the saving grace that, you know, that if I think if you would have heard a boom, boom, people would have thought terrorist attack or something like that. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you got a whole different game, but no one lost their heads. And as you, as the story knows, and it goes now is there's about 60 seconds. Um, and after that's happened, and all of a sudden the captain, as he's crossing the George Washington bridge says his famous words, this is your captain brace for impact. And that was the moment that, <clears throat> excuse me, I knew that something was going awry because I never heard that command on, on a plane. I've heard a lot of things, but never heard that one. So it got my attention and it was about 60 seconds after he crossed over the George Washington bridge. And we only cleared the bridge by roughly about four to 500 feet. And the bridge is roughly 600 feet up. So we were approximately 1,000, 1,100 feet at that point descending straight into the river. Wow. So it was, uh, so it is, as he crossed over the bridge, I actually looked out the window. I looked down and all of a sudden you saw people looking up at us. I'm like, whoa, we're pretty close. That's when I really realized, whoa, this thing is really not good. And uh, about 60 seconds after he crossed over the bridge, we crashed into the river. And it was a hard hit. And, you know, I was, in, I went back in my seat and up in my seat, but when I came back up, I opened my eyes up and I, I found I knew I was alive, but I wasn't out because water started coming into the plane immediately because of the impact. Mm-hmm. And depending where you were on the plane, and I was towards the back of the plane, it was anywhere from about ankle knee to waist deep, depending where you were on the plane. So mine was about anywhere about about waist uh, to, to knee deep at that point. It was probably closer to knee deep. And my game plan was just like everybody else's game plan, Jason. I had nothing, no, no other plans but get to the aisle, get up and get out. But when I got to the aisle, that's when things for that day and probably my direction of my life started taking a different different course. Because when I got to the aisle and I was going to just get out of the plane, I heard my mom start talking to me. And my mom had passed away in 1997. But there was something she would tell me when I was a young kid. It was like, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And I, I, I told people after a few years of thinking about what happened, 
and sort of putting the pieces of the puzzle together. What I realized about my mom, Jason, is my mom never told me what to do. She made me make a choice. And I tell people, I think that was one of the great attributes about that era of uh, parents. They they would make us make choices where now, and I'm guilty of this, and I don't know if you are or not, but, you know, I didn't make my kids make too many choices. We sort of made the decision and let's go. And so they don't get the, the opportunity to have consequences to their choices. And I think that was one of the great things my mom taught us, which I don't think she was teaching us directly, but it was an indirect lesson is there's consequences to every choice you make. And if you do the right things, good things may happen to you. And um, so I went to the back of the plane to see if anybody needed help. You know, I was alive, but Kayla, I didn't know what was going on back there. So I got behind everybody and started making my way out with everybody else. And when I got up uh, about halfway through the plane, I saw a light on the right side. And it turned out to be 10F. And I started bolting out like everybody else to get on the wing. But when I got there, I looked out the, out the door. It was an amazing sight. There was no room on the wing or the boat for me. But uh, People were already being rescued, and I was that was an amazing sight. So that's how I was inside the plane, about waist deep in thirty six degree water for about seven minutes because there was no room on the boat or the wing for me. Wow, super powerful, man! Did you did you have any concerns like I may not make it out of here? Or, I mean, how quickly did you say I think I'm going to get out of here? Let me get other people out of here. How did that How did that thought process work for you? Good, good question, Kaylee. Uh, I had so much adrenaline going at that point that, um, you know, I, I didn't feel any of the cold. I felt water, but I didn't feel cold. But I, I, and I part of the story that I tell when I do my talks and my, when I teach my courses is, you know, I was the head of security for Tony Robbins at that time. And I had the opportunity to not only travel with him, but learn and absorb what he taught. So I had a lot of the skill sets and, and mindset of, of, of what I learned, which I think is a great attribute is one of those, that's why I call the book moments matter. All these moments that you don't think mean anything also add up because I had the adrenaline going. I had to have the mindset going, but when I felt the plane shift and this was about six to seven minutes into this, I was waist deep in the water. I was holding on to the lifeboat because the lifeboat kept floating out into the river because of the current. So I was holding on so they could get on people on the lifeboat could get on, on the wing I felt the plane shift. And what I found out later, Jason, after I talked to a few people, I talked to people all the time because I love to put the story together, is there was a tugboat captain that was there on the rescue, and he backed his tugboat out, and he hit the front of the plane. And I tell folks, that's not a big deal unless you're inside the plane. And I was inside the plane because you're waist deep in the water. It shook the plane, and I felt water go up my backside. And I was like, man, this thing's going down. I mean, the only thing I – First thing I thought about was the movie Titanic when that boat tipped up. Yep. And if you were inside the boat, you were sucked down in it. And I said, yep. man, don't be sucked down. I said, get out of here. So that's when I jumped in and made the decision to jump in. I swam to the closest boat that I could find. And it had to be the end of that wing. And to this day, EMTs can't explain except for adrenaline. But, you know, I've been in the water for six plus minutes. And I'm now swimming in that kind of water with ice all around. And I got there. And. I just think, A, I knew how to swim, but B, it was adrenaline going at that point. That's amazing. This is kind of off the topic, but I've heard that in a, in our lifetime, we'll use a teaspoon of adrenaline in our whole lifetime. That's how powerful that is. So that's yep. it's super fascinating. So what does January, the morning of January 16th, look like for you? Is it I've been given a second chance, time to make things happen, or how would that work for you? Well, it was hectic, and I, I would use the word chaotic. Yep. Uh, because you know that night, two of us stayed in the hospital. Barry, uh, and if you saw the movie, that movie Sully, the guy who replayed him was the one who was on the right side, jumped out in the water, started swimming towards New York. 
that's the guy who played him. And he and I were the ones left in the hospital, and I had hypothermia, and he had a fractured sternum. So um, that next morning, since everybody else was going home and doing their morning shows at you know their, where they were at, we were doing all these shows and you know the, the morning show, the early show, with Good Morning America, all these shows in New York. So it was pretty chaotic, and and uh, you know after we got done with the shows, I had I had a liaison or my person, my representative from U.S. Airways, who came in overnight to be with me. Basically, it's her job to take care of me. You know, whatever I needed, she was supposed to take care of. So um, she was making plans to get me home. So when I got back from doing these shows, it was about 10 till 9 or so, give or take a few minutes. I wanted to get out of there because my family was waiting at the airport. And she told me she was going to put me on the 12 o'clock flight home. And I said, no, I want to go home now. And she kept saying that you can't get to there. I said, no, you know, that's not that's not good enough. I said the night before, everybody wanted to talk to me. They left their cars. They called me if you need anything. And that's the moment, Jason, I found out who the most important person was uh, in or is in New York as the director of Port Authority. And he he left his car and said, call me if you need anything. And she called him. And I got a police escort from Weehawken, New Jersey, LaGuardia. He got there about 16 minutes and made that play. So that day of the 16th was pretty hectic. But what was more hectic is when I got home because it was not only all the media back at the Charlotte airport when I arrived and all that, but a little known part of the story, which the only people really around in Charlotte really know what happened is, you know, I had CBS. I had a lot of people follow me home and sort of staking me out. Right. And my daughter who was playing high school basketball had a game that night across town. And we went to the guy. I mean, I was, I mean, I supported the team. So I was there and all this media showed up at the basketball game. And they came into the gym. They were filming me. The girls playing basketball. They didn't know what to do. The principal. So I was like, that was really chaotic. So this day of the 16th, to me, was just one big blur because it was just uh, people all over the place. Sure. Man, I, I'm obviously very glad that you got out of there. It's an amazing experience. What moment or at what time did you realize that, hey, I want to speak and impact others and I want to take advantage of this? Well, it wasn't immediate. And you know, I the first chance I had to speak was for my church's men's breakfast, which I was asked that Sunday when I went to church to speak at the following Sunday. And like I said, first thing I thought that you have fifty old guys eating pancakes, right? It's no big deal, right? <laughs> I mean, I I've been to men's breakfast; it's no big deal, right? We just sit around and shoot the stuff, right? Yep. Um, but uh, I said, yeah, but. All of a sudden, they invited half of Charlotte. They opened up to the community, and five, six hundred people showed up. And that was the first time I spoke. But the moment I realized that I had a mission, and especially in speaking, was after when there was this elderly lady that came up to me. I, I don't know. I told, I tell people, eighty, ninety years old at least. She's just a really old lady, and she came up and interrupted a conversation and grabbed my arm. I'm like, "What's this old lady going to do to me?" Right? Because nowadays, when people start coming to you, start start touching like you don't know what's going on right yep. especially when you're in a sort of in that limelight moment right when yep. everything's coming at you and, but she looked me in the eye and said i was questioning if there was a god i don't believe in miracles but you are physical evidence that there is a god and he does miracles wow that's powerful and 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 all of a sudden these two men start crying i mean i've never seen two men cry like this and my minister was in the back watching all this and all of a sudden i'm like she just leaves like no big deal and i said the moment i realized what happened to me had impacted somebody Yep. Who before she goes to wherever that is, wherever we call, what do you want to call it, wherever that may be, believes there's a God who does miracles because I am physical evidence. And that's the moment I said, you know what? I have a bigger mission than going out selling software. I, I, I have a bigger mission. But I had to get out. That took me a few years to get out because you still had to put, you know, you got kids, right? You yep. got to put them through college, right? Yep. You got all these expenses. Yep. So, but uh, I knew that was the moment I realized that I could impact people's lives doing what I'm doing. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. 
Beautiful. So curious for you, pre-crash, yep. how decisive of you of a person were you in your decisions? So did you take action quickly on things? Did you do what most people do with life and business and say, I'll get to it tomorrow? Or how did that work for you? No, being around is a great question. In fact, I haven't had that question probably in nine years. Uh, and the answer is, yeah, I was around Tony and I had to, t- you know, I was responsible for his safety and his team safety. Right. And so I had to, I had to make decisions quick and change them slowly. So I, before that, I would make decisions very quickly. Then I'd assess before I cha- make any changes. Unlike a lot of people, like you said, will make a decision slowly, but then they'll change it quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I just is the opposite because in my position, not only in sales, uh, but also being around Tony and, and his team and also all the people that he hung with. I mean, you're talking about some heavy hitters, right? Yep. And these people demand action. I mean, it's, it's all about action, taking action, getting it done. Let's go. So the answer to the question is I would make decisions pretty quickly, but change them slowly. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Talk to me about how entrepreneurs can and should create their very own flight plan for their business and their life. Well, that's a great question because now I'm an entrepreneur and, and, you know, I came from the corporate life and candidly, that was a great learning curve for me. They, uh, the one thing I find about really successful entrepreneurs who I get to deal with all the time, whether, you know, there's other speakers or small companies is that they have a passion and they have a passion, but the ones who really focus on gratitude and making sure they give back and taking care of their associates are the most successful ones. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that they're driven by the revenue, driven by the money, right? And they'll go, go, go. They'll work 100 hours a week. And Canley, Jason, I did that too when I first started. But I realized, you know, I was missing out on a lot of things, especially taking care of the people around me and having gratitude for what I have. So I would say the answer to my answer to that question would be the, the most successful entrepreneurs I get to deal with are the ones that show a tremendous amount of gratitude, are grateful for what they have, understand it's going to be a tough road. But leverage themselves to the point where they have they yeah they check their egos at the door and let other people start handling some of the things and and you're there to set the mission as an entrepreneur. Let other people let other people execute. If they don't execute, like I was, I got the opportunity to to hear Lou Holtz a few months ago, and one of the things he said that sort of resonated with me is like you know you give people as a leader give people you know something that they can do, but demand that they do it. You know, if you give them something, a task to do, and they can do it, you demand that they can do it. But if they can't do it, you need to get them out quickly and um, because they were, they're not ready or not bought into the mission. And that sort of resonated with me when I heard Lou Hill say that. I was like, that's true. I think like, some of the great leaders are the ones that, you know, they, they, they know your strengths. They'll give you a task, but, man, you better be held accountable. Yep. I mean, I'm held accountable, right? You're held accountable mm-hmm. by our families, by our, our, our clients. So we got to hold people accountable, but we get, have to give them something they can do that they can succeed at and give them the opportunity to succeed. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Um, I'd love to get three tips or three perspectives, however you want to run with it, for motivating entrepreneurs to take action now. You know, I talk to people all the time. You talk to people all the time that have ideas, have things they want to do, but they have a longer list of excuses why they can't. Uh, I've got kind of a great example of this. I'll kind of sidebar this real quick, but I was talking to a new client last week and we're talking about doing some lead generation for their franchises and kind of starting smaller and going from there. And I remember I said, I'm ready to get going Monday, next Monday. And it was maybe like Wednesday. So the CEO of that company was like great and started firing it up that day. And I kind of laughed and I thought, 
what am I doing? You know, I'm just like somebody that wants to lose weight that wants to start on January 1st. Today's as good as next Monday. So let's roll. So it's just kind of a perspective check for me there. But uh, for the people kind of stuck in that space, what three tips would you give for motivating them to take action now? Well, number one, it's all about taking action now. And candidly, you know, the one thing in my little company that I, I, I focus on and I have to, I've had to unfortunately have some people not be around me because they don't buy into the mission. So number one is, yeah, and be an entrepreneur, have your team to take action. They have to buy and understand the mission. My, one, one of the things I really focus on is responsiveness. I mean, I talk, I wrote about that. I talk about that. But uh, yeah, to motivate people, if they're not, if you're not responsive within a couple hours of doing something, whether it's just to say, hey, I'll get with you within a couple hours from now, um, I think that that really drains an organization. And especially as, as an entrepreneur, you, you have to be responsive because there's other people out there that can do what you're doing and they'll go to them very quickly. Second is, you know, I, the way I motivate people is like, we got to focus on the details. And that was a eye opening experience for me, Jason, because, you know, I work for I work for corporations, a lot of large organizations like the last one I worked with is Oracle. And they've got all the infrastructure right row. So all I had to do is show up and sell. Right. And mm-hmm. sell, do my stuff, customer service. Right. Take care of my little world. But an entrepreneur, you got to take care of the whole thing. And one thing I didn't take care of was my accounts receivable. And so what I've told my team is to motivate them is I put everybody on, I wouldn't say a commission, but also a bonus type of plan. Because one thing I realized to motivate them is, you know, and I did this with my first personal assistant, Tammy. I gave her a base, but I said, you know what, if you bring in some of this, you can do this, I'll give you a percentage. And what all of a sudden people have ownership. So the way I motivate people to take action on my team is everybody has an incentive. I don't care who you are, whether you're my publicist, whether you're you're my person who's working on my admin or my social media person, you everybody's on incentive, and all of a sudden that, that motivates them to take action. Uh, some people don't like that, so they therefore they maybe can't be on my team because yep. you, know, you got to have skin in the game. Yep. I mean, I'm putting I'm I'm all in. If you're not all in with me, then you know I'll, maybe you should find something else. So that's the second thing I'll probably say. Is number one, you need to have everybody have incentive to win and and earn and bonus and an opportunity to really go above and beyond. And, and the third thing is, I say you got you got to you know one that sort of came to life for me is you know everybody in their life is going to go through a personal plane crash moment, and to me it was a literal plane crash. But when I talk about personal plane crash, it might be a fire, a flood, a health scare. I have a friend, Jason, that I met back in what 2001 when I was on the Big Island. He his name's Sam, and he and I became good friends and been interacting. But he lost his house in the volcanoes, and he texted me and let me know he's living at the hotel. And I've been t- it's like so his his personal plane crash moment came from a volcano. Now, how many people have the opportunity to say that, right? Not many. Uh, not many, but you know what? Everybody's got one. So remember on your team and to motivate people, is, I understand everybody's got a life. Everybody's got that personal plane crash moment, and I will be with you through that personal plane crash moment, whatever it may be. You know, my, my former assistant's father passed away, right? And she had to have time, so I took, took it all myself. I had my situation, and my company probably could have responded better, you know? And But you know what? I, I managed myself. So a third thing I would say is to motivate people, let them know you got their backs. And if something goes on, which will go on, whatever happens, we'll get through it. I'll be there with you. And um, and if you need time, if you need space, if you need support, if you need help, just reach out. So those are the three things I would probably say. Very nice. Uh, Here's a question for you kind of off the notes. I just thought of I'm real curious to hear what you say. Um, 
I've always been under the impression, and it's been my experience, that you know the corporate world can be challenging, but entrepreneurship is the experts' league. It's a whole other level. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, oh, I listen. I now that I'm in the game, I agree, and that sort of started coming to light with me many, many years ago when I was still working with Oracle and then big companies. I because one of the things that you know when when I had the opportunity and the honor, and I don't want to call him friend, but my mentor, but support Tony Robbins. One of the things that Tony would continually ask me is, when are you going to stop working for a company and become an entrepreneur and do your own thing? Because you can never be free until you do that. Yep. And he kept asking me that question. And I tell people, there's only so many ways you can answer it. And he, call, he can call a liar pretty quick, right? He can catch it pretty quick. And so, you know, when this came on, he was the first and only person to call me to really and start helping and coaching me on how to make this transition. So, I would say that's I would say yeah I think I think entrepreneurship is exactly right I mean if you're not you will never have total freedom in your life unless you're controlling it and it's your organization and you're it's your mission and um, that came to life for me and this is fortunately for me the miracle in the Hudson sort of open up that opportunity for me to be able to do that. Absolutely. And my biggest, it's kind of funny, my biggest motivator, um, the one time when it was money, I failed so bad that I, I literally almost lost everything I had, had to beg family for food and pay for bills and that type of thing. And it was the best education I ever had that two years climbing out of that. But, you know, I figured out that um, I've got to find something I'm passionate at, which I have. And, and it's all about the people for me. So that's the clients and that's my team. And I was actually meeting with a, a mentor and friend this morning and he was asking me um, questions about income, like, what are your goals? And I told him, I said, John, I'll be honest, I could care less about my income. I know that what with what I'm doing, the money will continue to come and grow and grow and grow. So I, I don't care. I want to make my time spent here meaningful. I want to impact people. I want to inspire people. I want to help companies make money by you know the marketing automation solutions that we have as well. So um, when your focus is on the correct things, great things happen. Well, I agree, and I you know I one of the smartest decisions I made after my first mentor, Bill, um, was joining a, a mastermind group with a lot of high not profile, but high minded people, very smart people who yep. challenged me. So I would just encourage, that's why I'm starting my own group right now. Um, because I, what I found out is being around these people, they can level set you and they can, and it's all about contribution and giving back. And once you refocus yourself and like you just said, it's a perfect example is when we focus on ourselves, then it may come. But if you focus on giving other people, it comes back tenfold. Absolutely. So, so I agree with what you just said. So, Dave, what do you have on the radar for the rest of 2018? What projects or what things are you working on? Well, that's a great question because this last week we rolled out my new course, Cultivating Personal Leadership, uh, because I was getting asked so many times from so many people. They, they you know, everybody would always talk about corporate leadership, but they really wanted to get in my head about those leadership skills that I learned from Tony and all these other people that I employed that day. So that came out last week, and you can go to my website at Dave Sanderson Speaks. I'll be, you know, if they go on there and they if they put in, um, you know, Mompreneur, M-O-M-P-R-N-E-U-R 2018, they'll get a 25% discount just by listening to your show. But my next thing is, like I said, we're going to be starting our own group here to really coach people and give them a mastermind mindset on how they can leverage that. And then my next book will be coming out next January around the, the 10th anniversary of the plane crash. And it's going to be about uh, growing from traumatic life events or what's known best known as post-traumatic growth syndrome. Mm-hmm. Very nice, very nice. If somebody interested, or sorry, if somebody listening is interested in connecting with you, what do you think the best way is for them to reach out to you? 
Well, I appreciate that. The best way, if they go to my website at davesandersonspeaks.com, they can get a, Now that I don't have a personal assistant, Jason, they can get all of me directly. So that's uh, that's probably the easiest. But if they go to Facebook at Dave Sanderson Speaks, check me out there, or LinkedIn at David Sanderson, or Twitter at Dave Sanderson, too. And I respond to all those. I um, I have I have a team that we make sure we check that out. But if davesandersonspeaks.com is probably the best and easiest way because you have access to a lot of the, uh, the content we're talking about. And... I just uh, one of the things I failed to mention, Jason, is a new project that started a few months ago was my daily flash briefing on Amazon Alexa called Dave Sanderson Declassified, where uh, I go on or I Dave bring a guest Sanderson, on. Right. I go on for about five minutes every day and we deliver new content. And what we do is we we take a subject and we declassify it or break it down within five minutes so people can get it, get the answer quickly, and move on with their lives. So they go. go on, they have a product, check it Sorry. out. Something that's, went wrong. That's awesome that Alexa's like, hey, I heard my name. What's going on here? <laughs> she heard her name. I should have said it. She's looking right at me right now. Yeah. Awesome, Dave. Well, I appreciate your time and your story and your expertise as well. Thank you very much for having me, Jason. All right. We are back to the show. What do you guys think about that? Excellent, right? Dave, appreciate it, my friend. Uh, great conversation. Appreciate your time for sure. If you guys want to check out the show notes for this episode, uh, you can go to intentionallyinspirational.com slash episode 153. You'll get Dave's information there and some links to his social media and his website. All kinds of good stuff there for you. Um, Things to look forward to. I'm playing around with some neat things for the rest of the year in the business. I'm all about trying to make every year the best it can be. And I'm, you know less than six months left in the year. So I'm starting to really get focused and really get aggressive with my goals. One thing we're doing, I've talked about a bunch, is uh, doing an event in the Indianapolis area in early November. I'm um, still trying to lock down a venue. It's all brand new to me, so it's uh, it's an adventure. I'm launching a digital magazine in October as well. Something small, quarterly, you know, nothing crazy at this point, but still forward progress. And the final thing is I'm starting to get that itch for webinars again. So never done a webinar, but certainly like the mic and the camera. And I think I could uh, provide great value to people as well. So think about that for yourself. Don't worry about me, but think, you know, what things can you be pushing yourself for between now and the end of the year? Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We will come at you again another week with another great guest. Until then, take care. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to Intentionally Inspirational. You can keep up with all of our new episodes on CastBox, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We look forward to having you join us again next week for another great episode.